0: Yaya Rodriguez this weekend earn him that distinction or further distance him from others in the conversation I honestly don't know and more importantly for me I don't care anymore I just want to watch the man make the walk to the Octagon on Saturday night and enjoy seeing one of the best fighters on the planet today get in the cage and do his thing against a dangerous dynamic challenger it's Tuesday July 4th 2023 International Flight Week is upon us. UFC 290 is upon us. I'm me, Spencer Kite, and this is the Keyboard Kamora podcast presented by One Bone. I've been thinking about this one now for a little bit. And while I know what follows is very much a me thing, I hope it's at least one of those Spencer things that gets people thinking a little more and maybe even looking at things slightly differently. One of the main topics of discussion coming into this week and as we roll towards UFC 290 this weekend at T-Mobile Arena, is going to be Alexander Volkanovsky's place in both the list of all-time greats in the featherweight division and the all-time greats in MMA overall. The 34-year-old champ is set to defend his title against Yair Rodriguez in the main event this weekend, as I said, seeking a return to the win column after narrowly losing to Islam Mahashev in a bid to claim the UFC lightweight title earlier this year in Perth, Australia. He's 12-0 in the UFC featherweight division, and 25-1 at 145 pounds overall. He has four successful title defenses, two against Max Holloway, one against Brian Ortega, one against Chan Sung Jung, and looks to once again unify the division under his heel by turning aside Rodriguez Saturday night at T-Mobile. On his way to the top of the division, Volkanovsky beat Jeremy Kennedy, who was then 11-0, currently 19-3 with one no contest, and stationed as the number one contender in the Bellator featherweight division. Darren Elkins, a previous divisional stalwart and perpetual tough out, who was the gatekeeper of the top 15 for a considerable considerable amount of time, and who entered that fight on a six-fight winning streak. Chad Mendes, who went 17-0 against fighters not named Jose Aldo before dropping fights to Conor McGregor, Frankie Edgar, and Volkanovski at the tail end of his career, and Jose Aldo, who we'll get to in more detail in a moment. From a purely who-did-they-beat standpoint, you can make a strong case for Volkanovski being the top featherweight of all time because he's 4-0 against the two men that wore the title before him, beat a two-time title challenger on the way up, and dominated a pair of former title challengers in Ortega and Jung as well. But for me, the progression of who has sat atop the throne in the Featherweight division actually offers a cool illustration of why trying to pin down a singular greatest ever is such an incredibly difficult, inherently subjective pursuit, and to me, utterly futile. So let's start with Aldo. Jose Aldo came into the WEC like a hurricane. If you haven't watched early WEC Jose Aldo tape, pause this podcast right now, fire up Fight, cap, fight Pass, excuse me, and watch some of those early fights. Watch the fight against Antonio Noguera. Watch Jonathan Brookins, Rolando Perez, Chris Mickle. Each one of those men got finished, and you saw in those fights... That this kid from Rio was going to be a great big problem. Then he hits Cub Swanson with the ridiculous flying knee. Knocks him out in eight seconds. And I'm sorry Cub. I know you're not a big fan of this being one of the most memorable moments of your career. But he hit you with a flying knee. Off the touch of gloves. On the chin. Punched his ticket to a championship opportunity. Did a little celebratory dance. And it probably could have been stopped sooner than eight seconds. It was... Electric. And from there, Aldo dominated Mike Brown. And now Mike Brown is one of those guys that folks see now coaching fighters, cornering fighters, repping ATT, as he did during his career. And after having a brief run in the UFC where he went two and three. But the Mike Brown that Jose Aldo fought and dominated was 22 and four at the time, coming off two wins over Uriah Faber with a first round submission win over Leonard Garcia sandwiched in between. He'd won 10 straight going into that fight and 13 of his previous 14. He was legit excellent in this moment and Aldo showed the new generation was here to take over. He followed that up by chopping down Faber in a performance that was so dominant, so merciless, that for the rest of his career, 13 years and 21 fights, people would point to that fight and the leg kicks that incapacitated Faber, and wonder why Aldo doesn't just get back to smashing home, thudding leg kicks like he did against Faber. 13 years, 21 fights. We asked, why doesn't he just do that? That's how impressive it was. That's how vicious and dominant and just straight up impressive it was. A second round knockout of Manny Gambirian followed. And then Aldo moved to the UFC, where he beat Mark Hominick, Kenny Florian, Chad Mendes, Frankie Edgar, Chan Sung Jung, Ricardo Lamas, and Mendes again, before running into the left hand of one Conor McGregor. After that, he bounced right back with another win over Edgar to claim the interim title, which was eventually turned into the undisputed title. And then he went down and lost to Max Holloway. Which brings us to Blessed, who went to Rio, went to Jose Aldo's backyard, and claimed the throne after winning the interim title in Toronto by becoming the first person to stop former lightweight champion Anthony Pettis. Holloway started his UFC career 3-3, three and three, debuting as a 20-year-old with just four fights under his belt. Those losses, by the way, came against Dustin Poirier, Dennis Bermudez, and McGregor. And following that loss to McGregor in Boston, the Hawaiian went on a nine fight winning streak to land in that interim title fight with Pettis. Won that one, extended it to a dozen with consecutive wins over Aldo that solidified his place atop the division, and got to 14 straight in the division with additional successful title defenses against Ortega and Edgar with an interim title fight loss to Poye stuck in between. He then dropped the title to Volkanovski at UFC 245, followed by an insanely close rematch between the two at UFC 251, which again fell in favor of the Australian. And he's since gone three and one, dominating Calvin Cater, outworking Rodriguez, getting outworked by Volkanovski in a third meeting and rebounding with a good win and a strong effort over Arnold Allen earlier this year. And that brings us to Volk, whose resume we've already covered. The reason this progression feels like a great illustration of of why trying to pin down a singular greatest of all time in any division, or overall for that matter, is kind of pointless is because to me, it's a reflection of eras and how time waits for no man. Aldo was an absolute stud for 10 years, from his WEC debut to his second loss to Holloway, and still had additional success after those two fights. But his time eventually came, both in terms of the emotional loss to Conor McGregor, and ultimately, more demonstratively, the losses to Holloway and eventually Volkanovsky that led to his exit from the division. Max won 14 straight fights in the featherweight division, which includes victories over Andre Feely, Cub Swanson, the weird one with Charles Oliveira in Saskatoon, which remains one of the funniest, most random main event location. Pairings the UFC has ever put together to me Jeremy Stevens, Ricardo Lamas in that classic at UFC 199, Pettis, Aldo twice, Ortega, and Edgar, as already mentioned. Aldo has a strong case for being the greatest of all time, but Max beat him twice during a 14 fight winning streak, which is a pretty damn strong case as well. But then Volk beat Max not once, not twice, but thrice during a run of success that currently sits at a dozen consecutive wins and counting in the featherweight division. So you can argue a strong case for him as well. And it's not about the math of it either. This isn't A beat B and then C beat A, therefore C is tops. But more that these three men represent the growth of the division and the evolution of the sport into its current form, where Volkanovsky resides on the throne which could all change on Saturday. But Holloway's moment isn't diminished by Volkanovski ascending past him. Volkanovski had to keep working and keep improving because of Max. Just as Max had to keep working and keep improving because of what he needed to do in order to unseat Jose Aldo. We get so caught up in arguing about who stands alone atop the division and the sport that we don't spend much time recognizing, discussing, contextualizing, that each current great only got to where they are by standing on the shoulders of the men and women that came before them. I've done it forever, wrote countless pieces about why someone is the best in their division, where someone fits in the list of all-time greats. But I don't really want to do it anymore because I think it negatively impacts the way we talk about fights, fighters, and the sport as a whole. The athletes of today are always going to be bigger, faster, stronger than their predecessors because of the evolution of humans, sports science, our understanding of training and nutrition, and myriad other things. But we've gotten to that point through those previous generations because of those previous generations. And to me, it's impossible to compare and contrast athletes and competitors back through generations because things were so different at different times in history. Now, in a sport like MMA, that's, that's not necessarily as easy to point out, because the history of MMA isn't as rich or as deep as it is in, say, baseball or basketball or hockey. But even our little sport, the greats of previous generations feel like they are devalued as a result of this rush to frequently frame things in terms of the best ever and singular talents. But if you look at basketball, you don't get LeBron James without Kobe Bryant, who you don't get without Michael Jordan, who isn't as great as he is without having to compete with Magic and Bird, who pushed each other and were pushed individually by the greats they played with and against, like Dr. J and Kareem, who were pushed by their predecessors, and so on and so forth. What Aldo did was so special because the bar had been set by the likes of Faber and Brown. Holloway's wins over the King of Rio were so meaningful because of who Aldo was, what he had done, and Volk's victories over Max resonate the way they do because we all know how incredibly talented he is and remains, as evident by the fact that the only featherweight that can seemingly beat him is Volkanovski. I'm all for having the debates and would honestly welcome any and all cogent, thoughtful discussions about GOATs at featherweight, any other division, or the sport as a whole at any time. But I would much rather talk about the greatness of each of the competitors in the running, raising them all up, than trying to slot them into some kind of hierarchy or ranking structure, especially because these things are so subjective And therefore, trying to reach a consensus is a bit of a fool's errand. I don't know whether it's the impact of sports talk radio, the televised debate shows, or the push for podcast and and internet content that thrives on goat discussions and things of that nature, or our natural inclination towards making lists. And I love a good list or finding comfort and understanding in hierarchical structures. But it genuinely feels like we've gotten away from just appreciating everything and everyone that makes up this sport, and the moments we're in because we're so focused on narrowing things down until there is one man or woman standing. We all kind of suffer suffer from, excuse me, or trade in recency bias wondering where everything new fits in the history books, at times without knowing or remembering our history. We talk about legacies without giving the appropriate amount of respect to those that have actually crafted meaningful, lasting legacies in the sport. I've talked about it in the past, both here on this podcast and in columns on Keyboard Kimura, but it feels like the Ricky Bobby effect, where if you're not first, you're last. And so all we want to do is argue about who is first, With everything. But in doing so, we fail to recognize that finishing second is incredibly difficult and a tremendous achievement, as is coming in third, fourth, ninth, or 15th. And we also miss the fact that all of these places are rented, not owned, and the person that is in first now isn't going to continue to reside there forever. Volkanovsky is great. What he's done is spectacular, and I anticipate another incredible performance this weekend. But Holloway is great as well, and everything he's accomplished and continues to accomplish has tremendous value. And the same goes for Aldo, who rightfully goes into the UFC Hall of Fame later this week. Each reached the heights they did, in part, because of the titan they had to overcome in order to reach and achieve their ultimate goal. Rather than fixating on shuffling them around, trying to decide which one deserves to stand atop the mountain, I'm going to continue to do my best celebrating each of them individually and recognizing the current greats, recognizing that current greats can only reach new heights because of the men and women that came before them. I'm E. Spencer Kite. This has been the Keyboard Komorra Podcast, presented by Wombo. I'll talk to you later.